Would you like to grab your Bible? <clears throat> I'm going to go to a couple of places, but I want to begin in Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. And let's turn there, I'll pray for us. Father, just thank you for your grace. Thank you that your grace is enough, that your grace forever will be enough, that we rest as we come before you, Lord, not in our works and our worthiness and our performance, but we rest in that reality of a God who so loved us that you gave us a radical gift, so undeserved, calling us your sons and daughters. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, I just pray for this time as we gather around your scriptures. Speak to us, open our eyes, open the eyes of our heart to see you more clearly, that we might love you more deeply. Do what you desire to do, we pray. In your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. We say amen. Can we do a little better than that on a Sunday morning in Fishwick, Canberra? Well, we're going to begin in Matthew 5. Um, we've got a few weeks in kind of the preaching calendar where uh, I get to kind of share some topical messages. My problem is that whenever we get these weeks, and part of the reason I love having a biblical focus is that it keeps you on a schedule and, and a track. And so I get one of these weeks and there's about 15 sermons all at once that are kind of stirring. Um, and I'm not going to give all 15, don't worry. We're just going to go one direction. But obviously there's, there's been a lot happening, hasn't there, in the world just for change over the last kind of month or so. And like many of you, I've been praying, my heart's been stirred and, and stretched and challenged in, in many different ways. And my, my prayer in the midst of all of that is, Lord, not, not just open my eyes to what's going on around us, but open my eyes to what it is that you're doing. That's what I want to grab a hold of. What is it that you are saying? As uh, Jesus, he says to the, the church, the churches in the book of Revelation constantly, he says, let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying. And that's my question. Like, give, give me ears to hear what it is that you are saying. And it's, it's probably no surprise to any of us. I remember sharing at the prayer, the, the prayer times that we, we gathered together corporately this week, just that sense of things around us have moved past that, that place of, of having any sense of, well, we just need a few more nice prayers. You know, we need a bit more effort. We need some better strategies. We need, you know, cleverness of, of politicians. It's in my um, journey with the Lord, it's moved to that place of God. We, we are in a place where we need you. We need what only you can do. We need not the strategies of man. We need the strategies of heaven. We need your kingdom to come. Not, not, not my kingdom. Not our kingdom. We need your will to be done. And so how can we be a part of that? And so that's kind of the background just in my own personal journey with the Lord, praying and seeking. Lord, what, what is it that we could be doing? How can I be praying? How can I be posturing my heart in this season? And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes there's, there's kind of that sense of just hopelessness might be the word. Of like, how, how can I really make a difference? I feel so removed and so hopeless to make a difference. And I'm hoping that this is an encouragement for us, that the Lord appoints all of us with 
good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. And that every piece and part of that puzzle is significant and is of value. So in the midst of my, my journey with the Lord, seeking him, I said, God, what is it? What's one of the things? This isn't, this, there's many different things. But this is the one for us this morning, the one of the 15. We can do the other 14 next week if we like. What is it that we can be a part of? How can we focus our hearts? And instantly I had this scripture, this proclamation that Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. So, of course, all of us are aware, as I was, that these are the words of Christ in what is the most detailed sermon that Jesus gives. All of Scripture is important. It's wonderful. But there's certain passages of Scripture that do carry, if you like, an an extra weight. Certainly, as as I read them, I pay attention. And this is um, both in the disciples' eyes, but also under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the the most complete sermon of Jesus ever recorded. This is him proclaiming himself, his mission. And not just his mission, his his heart, what what this looks like, what what it is that he is all about. And I think that the thing that as you read this, I, I think at times we kind of gloss over the the weight and the um, perhaps even confusion that his hearers would have heard as he begins his ultimate manifesto in terms of his mission, what he came to do. So I want to read a, f- a few uh, verses here, and then we'll head into this, this notion of blessed are the peacemakers. Matthew 5, chapter 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples, as of course, as Jesus, came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... And I want you to to grab a hold of this. His first proclamation, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Instantly, they've got to be thinking, what sort of a kingdom is this, the poor in spirit? At this time, you've got the the Greek philosophers who are are promoting and rejoicing in their intellect. You've got the the Roman uh, authority, the glory in in their strength and their might. You've got the the religious authorities of the day putting forward their their self-righteous acts. And Jesus cuts through in the midst of that, opens his mouth. He says, blessed are the poor, the poor, the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Not, Not the strong, not the mighty, not the wise, those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth in a context and a culture that prided itself on what they could do. Put forward their own intellect, their own strength, their own religiosity. He says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, here it is, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, it's hard to really do any justice here to this passage in its entirety because Jesus is building a framework, a framework for this upside-down kingdom, this kingdom that cut through the, the culture. 
This kingdom that turned everything upside down or the right way up. There was no one like Jesus. There still is no one like Jesus. A name that is revered by billions. Used as a cuss word by billions as well. And here he stands building this framework for a kingdom that looks like and it sounds like and it feels like nothing else. And it's not my mission this morning to kind of look at each of these pillars, but I bring it before you as something that we should consider, give way to. What is it that Jesus is describing? This upside down or this right way up kingdom. What sort of a king, what sort of a gospel, what sort of a message is it that he was proclaiming? This radically countercultural way of living. We're going to pick up just one of those phrases, as I said. Blessed are the peacemakers. And what does that mean? Blessed are the peacemakers. And he continues, he says, for they shall be called the children, the sons and the daughters of the living God. The children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Two root words. Obviously, peace. We kind of have some kind of a notion or understanding of, of what peace is is but we'll unpack that a little bit further this morning but the peacemakers this is an active word it's a doing word it's a word that's that's bursting and bristling with energy it means to to make ready to prepare to produce to bear to bring forth to declare to lead to make or to do something it's always active it's always doing he's saying blessed are not just the peace lovers not just the peace entertainers, not just the, 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 the passive peace talkers, not the people that talk the talk, but the people that walk the walk, those who are actively involved. There's, a, there's an action, there's a doing, there's something about being involved in bringing forth and being a part of peace. Interesting thought, the peacemakers. And obviously he says here, he says, they will be called, blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called the children of God. Now, he doesn't say they will become the children of God. This isn't the pathway into his kingdom. He says they will be called or they will be named. They will be known as, we could phrase it that way, they will be known as people who are peacemakers, who are about peace in the world and the circumstances and the situations that they find themselves. That's something that will mark them as the children of God. How do you know if you're a child of God? He says, well, one of the ways is that you're about peace, that you're about peace. You're a peacemaker. Okay, well, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked the question. Let's delve and look at this from another way. I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> Second passage of scripture here. And Paul concludes this letter to the Ephesians. He's written about the, the glories and the grace of, of Christ, this wonderful high point of theology of Paul's writing of the New Testament. And he concludes with a very well-known passage. I won't read it all, but we'll just pick up the flow here in Ephesians 6 verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, you've got to pause there and just recognize that reality. He's, he's not talking here about somehow mustering something up. He's going to describe, describe something that is all about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and our need to not stand in our own strength, but to stand in his provision and the power that he's accomplished and won and made available for us. 
So it says, be strong in the Lord and the strength, some translations say, the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Just pause there for another moment. I don't know if you're anything like me and you get so frustrated even watching the nightly news. Like there's no such thing anymore as unbiased reporting, is there? You're you're one news stream and you're way over one side and you're one and you're way over the other. You get 10 different news reports and there's 20 different opinions. And you think, well, where is the true reality in the midst of what we're seeing? Now, that's, that's a good message in and of itself is to try and search for truth in the midst of that. But Paul is reminding us that the real reality is none of the above. The real reality behind what we are seeing, and he underlines it, and he emphasizes. It's not the physical, it's the spiritual behind it. It's the powers and principalities. And that's so important for us to remember. Not that we completely ignore the reality, but to look deeper beyond just what we see with our natural eyes. And pray again, Lord, give us ears to hear what it is that you are saying. Because there's more going on here than any of the news reports are reporting. So it says there's a true reality. There is a battle. There is a reality. You're going to find yourself in the midst of some circumstances. I don't think that's any surprise to any of us. But sometimes we just need reminding, right? The Christian walk is not a pleasure cruise. There's great moments of just receiving his presence, there is. I'm not saying there's no joy. There is. There's joy unspeakable. There's, there's this wondrous grace that he pours upon us. But it's poured out and it's found in the midst of a battle. There's a real battle going on. It's what he's trying to encourage us in. There's a battle, but there is a capacity for us to stand strong if we stand in the power of his might. Verse 14. So stand, he says, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And verse 15, let me bring this one to your attention. He says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Continues, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So he's saying that the victory has been won, and you can stand in that victory, but there is a reality that you will find yourself in the midst of some stuff that's going on all around you. And here is his provision, verse 15, shoes for your feet given by the gospel of peace. Let's look at those two phrases, shoes for your feet. What is the purpose of shoes? And it's... It's not a trick question. No trick question. Shoes are there to to prepare us for the journey, aren't they? And you need to wear shoes that are appropriate for the journey. Shoes bring steadiness. Um, I've never particularly been one for brand name clothes. In fact, often I avoid them and find them um, just way overpriced for what you're actually getting. But the one thing that I've always been happy to spend money on is a decent pair of shoes. Always go to a a good brand that I know. I go to a a pair of shoes and and look intentionally and happy to invest and pay in, pay some money in a pair of shoes that's actually going to see the distance. 
I mean, you can get faulty shoes and with our, our kids. We've tried a few times to find some cheaper school shoes. I don't know if any parents have found this. And you last one soccer game in the, the Oval at school and they come back in pieces. You know, there's the imitation and then there's the real deal. And so I, I, I look for shoes. I look for shoes that can, can go the distance, that will provide support and stability. I look for shoes that will help me um, in my squash games every week with Adam, that can prove victorious as they did this past week. Not that anyone keeps track. Adam gets a little... <laughs> I think it might be two in three weeks. But anyway, we'll, we'll, Adam gets a little competitive. We, you know, it's for the glory of the Lord. <laughs> We're moving right along. Next week, we'll be about humility. We'll be preaching. We'll be praying all week. So we need, we, we need appropriate footwear. I mean, you don't go on to the battlefield in a pair of stilettos, do you? Not that I'm speaking from experience, of course. But you need footwear that is appropriate to the environment that you find yourself in. And I think this is probably the most underrated and undervalued aspect of this entire picture at times. We talk about the breastplate of righteousness. We talk about the, the sword of the, the spirit. There's these important realities. And yet perhaps sometimes we, fit, we forget about the importance of having the right readiness given to us by the gospel of peace. The right shoes. What, what good is a soldier going to be? You're, you're geared up. The, the Roman centurion going into battle. And these are not like nicely paved roads. There's, there's mountains and there's valleys. What good are they going to be if they've got the wrong shoes? They're going to be utterly ineffective. Remembering this is not something that we're working up to, something that God has given us. He's saying, as shoes for your feet, you've been given readiness, preparedness. That's what it's saying, that you will be prepared by the gospel of peace. So let's look at that second part. We talked about shoes for your feet. But what is this gospel of peace? What, what does that even mean? And I think sometimes, like, we spent a whole year studying the book of Romans. And as Paul begins his proclamation, he talks about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God under salvation. And it is. We think of the gospel as power. It is power. We think of the gospel as truth. And it is. It's the light that shines in the darkness. It's many things, but here it's giving us another aspect of this proclamation of the gospel, and saying the gospel is peace. I know we're heading into a season of Advent and then Christmas. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I did visit someone this week, and the Christmas tree was already up in the living room. The Lord bless you. For me, the Christmas tree and the carols is for one day, the Christmas day alone. But it is a time where we focus on this breaking through of the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 2, as the, the shepherds are there and the angels appear, this proclamation of Christ. And they come with this declaration. They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. And on earth, peace. Glory to God. And on earth, peace. Goodwill towards men or peace upon those whom, upon whom God's favor rests. Some translations phrase it. So what, what is this peace then? What is this notion of the gospel being a gospel of, of peace? It is a gospel of power. It's a gospel of truth and salvation. But a gospel of peace. 
Colossians 1, it says this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses against them. It goes on, it says, he made peace by the blood of the cross. He made peace. He proclaimed peace and he came for there to be a reality of his peace. By the sovereign work of God's grace, he steps into this chaos of human rebellion, darkness, and depravity of sin, and he comes with peace. You and I were born again. We're we're brought from rebellion into faith. We're made into children of God, into his image, the image of a God who came to proclaim peace. And ultimately, that's the ultimate expression of peace, isn't it? It's a reconciliation and restoration between us and God, between man and God. A peace that will eventually one day culminate in the Prince of Peace coming to reign and to rule. Now, this is important for us to think through. See, I think sometimes we think about peace and we think about what's that moment where there's there's quiet at the end of the day. The kids are in bed. Praise the Lord. It's a moment we can put our feet up. It's it's an absence of of noise and distraction when the conflict and the struggle ceases. But biblical peace is far different. It's far broader. It's far more significant. It's not something that's found in the midst of the storm, uh, in the absence of the storm. It's found in the midst of the storm. Jesus said to his disciples just before he went to the cross, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them, literally the translation is, do not let them be overtaken and overwhelmed by grief and sorrow. He says, my peace I'm giving to you. His gift of peace. A peace that the world can't offer, not like the world offers. My peace. I'm giving you a gift of peace. Not so you can know the absence of circumstances. He was about to go to the cross so you could walk through trials and tribulation and uncertainty, and doubt, and fear, and still be steadied by this reality of peace. So it's not, it's not a proclamation of the absence of stuff. It's a proclamation of his sovereignty, his certainty, and his sufficiency. That he is who he said he was, that his kingdom has come, and it's coming again. And in the midst, he says, there is a peace that will steady you that will guide the way, that will give you the readiness you need to face whatever you find yourself in the midst of. You see, there should be this reality, shouldn't there, as believers, where we live differently, where we walk differently, where we grieve differently. We had a couple of funerals, Adam mentioned last Sunday, the week before last. And it's very different. I I can tell you as someone who's taken funerals, and all of us, I'm sure, have been to many funerals. You go to a funeral of a believer. And Paul says this to the Thessalonians. He says, though we grieve and we do, there's still mourning and there's, there's suffering. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. We mourn completely different. We walk completely different. Because there is, there's this underlying peace and reality. In fact, I was encouraged, and I've told the gentleman this, but in the midst of um, some significant loss in one of these funerals, a husband who, who lost his wife of nearly 40 years, 
Like that's grief and that's profound sorrow. And yet not only was he there the next Sunday at church, I told him this, I said, you were there and your amen was the loudest in the room. And I was like, oh God, when I grow up, that's the kind of faith I want to have. That kind of faith, not just for the good times, but the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the stuff, there's still a God who's good and he's worthy and he's with me and he's for me. It's the anchor of my soul. It's the refuge in the heat of the battle. He is the Prince of Peace. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Mark 4.35 It's one of my favorite um, illustrations in this, in this area of peace. And it's where Jesus and his disciples, he said, we're heading to the other side of the lake. And so they're in the boat. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in the midst of this storm. And there's panic. Panic arising. What, what, what do we do? We're here. We're all going to drown. We're all going to die. You know, the world's just upended. Like, well, let's find Jesus. That's a good thing to do. That's the first step. Let's, where is Jesus? All of a sudden, we've lost sight of Jesus. Isn't it amazing how the moment you're in the midst of the storm, that's the first thing to go. So aware of the problems and the circumstances. I say, well, let's find Jesus. And eventually, they come across him, and he's sleeping in the back of the boat. He's, he's fast asleep. I say, well, let's wake him up. And I don't think they were, you know, gently. They were probably shaking him. Jesus, can't you see? We're, we're in the midst of this. We're in the midst of this circumstance. Like, like don't, don't you get what? Aren't you aware of what's happening? And Jesus' first question, I always love it. And he kind of points into this reality. He's like, well, the problem here is not me sleeping. The problem is, why are you not? Like, what is the foundation of your assurance? What is it that you are anchoring yourself into? Is it the problems that you're finding all around you? Or is it the faithfulness of his promise? It's effectively what he's saying. We're, we're going here. I told you we're going here. Like what's, the problem's not me. Like, guys, come on, think about what it is that you've built your foundation upon. Because it's in those moments, in the midst of circumstances that don't go the way that we think they will. In this world of, of anxiety. He says, there is a gift of peace. I give you my peace. Anchor into my peace. The peace that was proclaimed as I broke into the midst of the darkness. Glory to God and on earth, peace. Oh, there's a moment. He's come and he's coming again. And in the, the midst of everything in between, the night before he goes to the cross, I can anchor into his peace. Now, if the story ended there, it would be more than enough as in the John 4 account of Jesus saying, guys, what, what are you anchored into? But I love it. Almost more for, for their sake. He says, all right, well, let me just deal with the circumstance, my words here and situation. It says he stands up and he speaks to the storm and the wind and the waves. And what does he say? Peace, be still. Peace. You see, his peace, it wasn't just a pillow for him to rest his head upon. It was a proclamation in the midst of the chaos and the storm of who he is and what he came to bring. He came to bring peace. It wasn't just a place to lay his head. It was his power to declare in the midst of the storm. Now I want to cycle back just to Jesus' proclamation in Matthew chapter 5, just as we 
bring this to a close. I don't know if Ali or Carol or someone wants to come up. That'd be great. Because there is this reality, both as Ephesians said, that you're going to find yourself in the midst of, of the battle, of, of some difficult terrain, of some things to navigate. But do not be afraid because he has provided everything you'll need. And one of the greatest provisions is, as shoes for your feet, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. When we find ourselves in unsettled times, in unsettled places, where, where peace in the natural around us is fragile, Jesus' words to us, as they were to the disciples, is do not let your heart be troubled. My peace I give to you. It's, it's given. That's what he's given us, this peace. The question is, have, have we received it? And in the same way as, because we can never be peacemakers unless first we're walking in that place of peace. But in the same way as we recognize that reality of the peace that he has provided for us, will we be a people who go forth with Christ's proclamation and invitation? Blessed are those who are not just the peace lovers and peace receivers, but who are the peacemakers, who are actively about making peace, pointing people towards peace, who are actively, if you like, asleep in the boat because things are going crazy. And people are like, how can you not be stirred up by this? Well, my peace is anchored into a different source. It's not anchored into anything in this world. It's anchored in to the one who is the Prince of Peace, whose kingdom and gospel proclamation is that peace has come. And who will rule as the Prince of Peace? And I believe one thing that's needed in this day and age, perhaps not above everything else, but in the midst of everything else, is a people who know how to walk in and walk out of peace. Like what if we just stop for a moment and our prayers, which so often can be consumed by anxiety with our conversations that can so often be caught up in all these other things. I was talking to a very good friend actually uh, a week or so ago. He doesn't come to the church here. And uh, he's like, I, I decided with, it was some close family and friends um, we decided to start up a, a little WhatsApp chat talking about religion and politics. He said it lasted about two days. <laughs> he said, everybody else was as bad as me. I don't know what it is, but there's just something about stuff going on. I feel stirred up and I get behind that keyboard and he's, I just I don't know what it is. But no exaggeration. He said, my wife, who wasn't a part of it, she's had to meet with some people. We've got formal mediation sessions happening. Like it just destroyed relationship. That's what happens in a world of anxiety, doesn't it? Things are unsettled. Things are, ah, and, and I'm not saying in any way, like, please hear my heart here. I'm not saying that we need to live in denial of the circumstances. There's a reality there, but, but Jesus is calling us to walk through those circumstances as people of peace. One of the greatest realities and differences we can make is to bring peace. To bring peace. Who are you for in the midst of Middle Eastern conflicts? Well, ultimately, I'm for the Prince of Peace. And his kingdom that's come and it's coming again. 
And I'm resting in his peace and praying into his kingdom purposes. That's where my hope is. That's where my assurance is. That's where my joy is. I'm not in denial of the circumstances. In my conversations with others, that's the question I ask myself, and I do not do it well all the time. I get as stirred up as other people. But the challenge from the Lord is come back to that place of peace. If you've got your feet prepared with the right footwear, if you're steady in peace, then you pray and you relate and you think and you live, commune with others in a different way, with a different heart. That's my intention, not to stir things up. There's plenty of that happening every moment, every minute of the day. Blessed are the peacemakers. So would you just close your eyes this morning? I want to ask us just a couple of questions. Actually, let me give you, I'll do the questions first and I'll give you, I'll give you this blessing. The first, first question I have for us, for those of us who know the Lord, is simply this. How is your peace? What describes your current dispensation? Are you more like the disciples where it's panic stations, there's anxiety, there's all sorts of fears? They're probably blaming one another. Whose idea was this? Peter. Everything's stirred up, anxious. Or are you more in the camp of Jesus where you're like, man, stuff's happening, but I'm just perfectly at peace. So peaceful, I'm just asleep in the midst of the storm. How is your peace? Because as we've read from scriptures, he said his peace has been given. It's part of his armor. But the question is, have you received it? Are you building your life upon it? Is that where your sense of security, your foundation, your stability really is? And if not, that's the first step, is to come back to build our lives upon his peace. It's the only thing that will give us the readiness, the stability to walk well through what's around us. The second, first question, how is your peace? The second one is, how can we be in our conversations, in the way that we live, the things that we post, how can we be peacemakers? Is there anything, Lord, that you can challenge and deal with in our hearts that we can be a people, not just who love peace, but who bring the peace of Christ You proclaim this kingdom of peace in the way that we walk and talk and the thoughts and the motivations of our hearts. So I just want to read this over you. This is a very well-known blessing, the ironic blessing. Just invite you just to just receive this as we conclude our time together. Just allow the Lord to minister to your hearts. It says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.
the shalom of heaven. May that peace be your foundation. May it be your source. May it be your strength. May it be your proclamation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.